I'm part of the teaching leadership team here at Jericho, and we want to welcome you here on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Um, one of the things that, uh, as a pastor, you have the privilege of doing, and it, re it really is a holy privilege, is to walk with people through different stages and journeys in their life. And uh, over the last 18, 19 years, I've had the privilege to walk uh, with literally hundreds of families uh, through the passing of a loved one. And sometimes in very dark moments and very conflicted moments in their own journeys. And oftentimes in that season, we get to stand by the graveside and we either have a casket or an urn uh, that's there. And one of the unique things that, about a graveside is that you never know what's going to bubble to the surface at a graveside. What kind of emotions might come to life inside of you or inside people in that circle when you're standing there? Because there's something about standing face to face with that finality of death at a graveside that really brings uh, a stark reality to things. And so this past December, uh, as a family, we flew to Toronto. We were there to bury the last of my living grandparents, my mom's dad. Uh, and Meg's maternal grandparents are 97, 90, 98, still going strong. Um, but uh, my grandfather, or in this last December, he had a stroke. He went downhill very quickly. And so in the middle of December, everyone else... In our culture's out, they're buying presents, they're going to Christmas parties, having happy times. And there we are, uh, standing by the graveside and saying goodbye to a person that we loved and respected deeply. And you just never know what's going to come up when you're standing face to face with each other at those moments. How you're going to feel, how it's going to manifest in your own emotions when someone you love dies. And so for me, when we went through the whole of the weekend together, we had family times with all of the extended family. We had a service at a nice historic church in Toronto, uh, all very composed. And then Friday, we gathered in the snow at the graveside, and we laid the urn with his remains into the ground in a hole, and we all came and we spread dirt over top of it. And when I was there with that handful of dirt and sprinkling it in to that hole, like just the finality of that moment, the weight of the finality of that, that goodbye really hit me. And so that moment for me was the time when I actually wept. I thought about, you know, this is like the patriarch of our family, the last one in his generation that's still alive and he's gone and you start asking questions like, what now? Who, who's in charge around here now? <laughs> what, how are we going to organize ourselves as a family? And that sense of just loss and grief of the relationships and the memories just kind of washed over me in that moment. And so I can imagine in some small way, just a really small way, how the disciples might have felt of Jesus on that first Easter weekend on Friday, on the Friday where Jesus is crucified and then he's laid to rest in the ground. And they might have had those same thoughts. Now what? <laughs> Who's in charge around here now? 
You know, we placed our hopes, our confidence in this Jesus. We used to have faith. We used to believe stuff that he told us. And now what? What are we to do now? It's over, they might have thought. See, when you come face to face with death, with loss, with the, the finality and the enormity of that, it brings up so many questions. And it can actually, it can incapacitate us sometimes. It can crush us in our spirit and in our bodies even in ways that modern science is still trying to help us understand. But thankfully, the Easter story doesn't actually end on Good Friday. It doesn't actually even start on Good Friday. See, the story of Easter rests on a promise that God made. And it's a promise that he made to humanity actually thousands of years before Jesus ever came onto the scene with his life, with his death, and his resurrection. It was a promise of hope and a promise of life, of new life. And part of it's contained in a promise uh, that he made to a man named Abraham. See, Abraham lived thousands of years before Jesus. He lived in the ancient Near East in a time where life was hard and then you died and they stuck you in the ground and that was about all there was to it. But God came to Abraham and he made him a promise. God promised Abraham that he was going to be a dad. He was going to be a father, both spiritually and biologically, to many peoples, many nations. But there was a problem with this, one teeny tiny problem. Actually, it wasn't such a small problem. The problem was that Abraham had no children. And he goes through his married adult life, no kids, into his 70s, no children, into his 80s, still no child, into his 90s now. And the scripture says, both he and his wife are well past childbearing age. Abraham actually gets up to his 99th birthday, still no son. If I'm Abraham and I'm 99 years old, I've given up hope. I'm throwing in the towel on this and thinking, maybe I misheard what God meant. Maybe there's another way this is going to work itself all out. This whole you're going to be a father to many kind of thing. I love the way that the New Testament tells Abraham's story in Romans chapter 4. Turn there uh, in your Bibles or on your phone. Uh, if you have the Jericho Ridge app, there's a Bible in there as well. Romans chapter 4, verse 19, in the New Living Translation, says this about Abraham's story. Even when there was no reason for hope, none, Abraham kept hoping. He was believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. I love that phrase. Even though there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He kept 
believing. He kept persisting in the fact that God had given him a promise and he was going to hold God to that even in the face of the circumstantial evidence that he should give up. See, Abraham had developed something in his life, in his journey with God, that is a difficult thing and a complex thing and a hard-fought thing that I'm still working at developing and many of us are. And that is a sense of faith, a sense of deep faith. And this faith carried Abraham, this faith in God and God's character When all hope seemed lost, Abraham said, I don't know what else I have, but I'm going to stand firm on the promise that God made to me. I'm going to keep hoping. Now, this isn't to say that Abraham never faltered in his faith. For example, at one point in Abraham's story, he gets tired of waiting around for God to do something. And so the suggestion is made that he has a relationship with his wife's handmaiden. So she ends up pregnant and they have a son. So when it says that Abraham kept hoping and believing and all of this, like we have to also remember that this Abraham was no squeaky clean saint. Like he had his moments of real wrestling and doubt and fear and lapses. But even in the midst of his struggles... Abraham's faith in God's character and God's promise is held up consistently in the Scripture as an example for you and me. Verse 16 of Romans 4 uh, uses the phrase that Abraham is the father of all who believe. In other words, Abraham is the spiritual ancestor of those who stake their lives on the hope of God's Word and God's character. We used to sing a song about this. When I was growing up, do you remember this little song was Father Abraham had many sons? Do you remember it? Father Abraham had many sons. Sing it if you know it. And many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then you'd move like a part, right arm, left arm, you know, <laughs> nod your head, turn around, sit down, all that kind of stuff, right? I have no idea what that song has to do with Abraham's faith, (laughs) except that it's trying in a very weird way to communicate like, I am one of them. Abraham's the father of all who believe, like he had many children of faith. And if you have faith, then you're a child of Abraham, a son or a daughter uh, of Abraham. I'm not sure that the song did the best job of getting that message through. It was just mostly confusing to me to keep up with the leader as to whether I was moving my right arm, left arm, nodding my head, turning around, sitting down, all that kind of stuff. But the point is this, Abraham had this sense of faith in God's character. See, if we keep reading in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, it says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this, as his faith strengthened, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. See, making a promise to someone is a big deal. They might just hold you to it. Um, I want to ask Tammy if she would share, well, have you got the, where's the handset mic? Can we bring that over to Tammy? And uh, we want to tell a little story today about a promise that 
was made. Tammy's on our staff team. She and her family were part of a team of people who just returned uh, from Guatemala and from serving there for a week. And they're going to do a full report next Sunday. But I asked Tammy if she'd just share a story about a promise and about a woman in Guatemala. So Tammy, can you share that for us? Great. Um, Wally mentioned earlier, our Guatemala team is back. Um, we arrived home really late on uh, Sunday night, early Monday morning. And we are so thankful for the prayers of our church. Um, so I'm just going to share a story for you about, about prayer. Um, so we met uh, Magdalena. And she was actually uh, the mom of one of the um, houses that we, were, that we were building for. So Magdalena has been praying for a very long time um, for her family and uh, for God um, to provide for her family and for them to have a stable um, living situation. So two months ago, uh, right around the time we found out about Magdalena and we had photos and we had posted them up on our blog, and uh, our team and many of you began praying for Magdalena and her family. So at that same time, Magdalena had found out about us. So she had found out that there was going to be a group of, uh, of gringos that were <laughs> going to come down from a place called Canada, and they were going to build her house for her and her family. And Magdalena, when she found this out, thought that this, like, this was her answer to prayer, that she had been praying for many years faithfully uh, for God to provide this for her family. So Magdalena lives in a little village and her new home is at the top of this hill. And to get to her home, you have to walk up all these kind of goat trails to get up there. And um, along the way, you have to literally walk through a bunch of other people's houses to get up to where, where she was living. So you literally had to walk through people's kitchens in order to get there. So, and in Guatemala, community is really huge uh, and they tend to care for each other in ways that we don't necessarily see here and um, so the community of people that that lived around around Magdalena and her family um, they they didn't believe that this was going to happen and they spent the last two months telling Magdalena that this was all a big trick uh, this was never going to happen why would these white people from Canada want to come and build you a house this isn't going to happen. It's just a big lie, and you're really foolish for believing this. And so Magdalena continued to pray, and uh, she fasted, and she prayed, and she kept telling all of the people in her little village that no, that she that she knew, like she had faith that God God was going to provide in her family for this way, and that that this this was true, that this was really going to happen. And uh, her neighbors and the people around her continued to think she was a whack job. And this was never going to happen. And if it did happen, these people were going to charge her a lot of money. Like, she was going to end up having to pay somehow for this. So she was, like, faithful. She felt like God was going to provide. So this group of uh, white people from Canada uh, arrive um, and... We built her home, and then after we were finished building her the home, uh, we all got together inside her house, and uh, we wanted to pray for her, and, and she wanted to say something to us. So she told us the story, how two months ago uh, she had found out about us, and how uh, this was an answer to prayer, and how she'd been fasting, 
And she shared with us how all of her neighbors thought she was crazy and that this was a huge made-up story that was never going to happen and that she was going to somehow have to pay us a bunch of money. Um, and that, and just her faithfulness was just, she was so happy and so full of joy and she just stood there smiling and she said, I knew, I, I knew, I knew that God would provide for me. So um, she was just full of hope. She was full of faith. Um, we built her her home. She did not have to pay us any money. Uh, we literally carried her home through everybody else's home all the way up to the top of the hill. And you would see all these people at their washing stations, washing their clothes, just looking at us as we're walking by. Just like in disbelief that this was actually happening and it was actually true. So um, what a witness she was to her community and that we were able to be a part of that by um, not only fulfilling uh, God's promise to Magdalena, but also um, to her neighbors um, yeah. that they were able to see um, how, how God could provide for her. Um, she did ask us, she said, I can never repay you. Um, I can never repay you. And, uh, and Carrie, who was with us, who speaks Spanish, thankfully, it's so nice to have an extra translator. Um, so she said to Carrie, I can never repay you. And Carrie said, you can tell everybody else about God. You can tell them how God was faithful to you, and you can, you can just continue to, to, to live a life that's pleasing of God and continue to tell everybody about Jesus. And, and she nodded her head. Her husband was still a little bit in disbelief that all of this had happened because I think he also kind of thought, you know, they're going to charge us for something. Um, and, yeah, she just had a great smile on her face and she was so thankful and we were we were so blessed to be able to bless her so thank you church um because you guys were all not with us in guatemala but you were such a huge part of it and we appreciate um all of your prayers and all of the contributions that were made to the trip and and next week curtis and the rest of the team will will share some more stories about our our time in guatemala but that's just yeah. a little one for this week right on thanks for sharing that tammy <clears throat> See, here's the thing I love about that story. Magdalena was made a promise. She, she was promised that someone was going to come and build her a house. And it seemed pretty far-fetched to everybody else around her. But she said, you know what? I believe God, and I believe these people called Jericho Ridge Community Church, wherever that is. <laughs> and she persisted in that. And in fact, over the last two months, she shared her faith grew stronger that God was going to provide for her in this way. And in this, in the language of Romans chapter 4, Magdalena never wavered in believing God's promise. And in fact, her faith grew stronger. And in this, she brought glory to God because she was fully convinced that God could do whatever he promised. I wonder what your story would have been like in that situation. Two months of your entire neighborhood around you saying, that's not going to happen. You shouldn't believe this. This is a lie. Don't get taken in by that. That's just pipe dream. Two months of people trying to kill your hope. How would you have responded? I'm not sure that I would have responded like Abraham or like Magdalena. I think I probably would have responded a little bit more like the first disciples of Jesus on that first Easter morning. Because remember when the women go to the tomb to see what's up, 
on that first Sunday morning, they don't go with a glorious sense of hope and anticipation that Jesus is alive. They go carrying stuff to anoint a dead body. They don't think to themselves, man, Jesus has made good on his promise. He's defeated the power of the grave by triumphing over the principalities and powers, absorbing evil into himself, breaking the stranglehold of death over all of humanity. No. These women go to the grave thinking, I'm not sure how we're going to get inside, but we're going to make a good go of it and try and figure out how to still treat Jesus' dead body with respect. They're still fully expecting the stone to be in place. They went expecting Roman soldiers on guard and a dead Jesus still inside. But see, the women forgot the most important aspect of God's character that was manifest to Magdalena and manifest on that Easter morning. And that is this, that God is always, always, always keeping his promises. The phrase that we talked about down at the sunrise service this morning at Derby Reach, when the resurrection happens, says, just as I told you so. Like Jesus had made a promise to them and said, uh, remember, <laughs> I'm actually going to rise from the dead. God is keeping his promises. That's what Abraham knew. Abraham was fully convinced God's able to do what he promises. And when Jesus promised his first disciples that he would die and on the third day he would be raised again to life, he kept that promise because God is keeping his promises. And here's the really, really good news of Easter. The promises of God don't simply just stop with Abraham or with Jesus. No, keep reading in Romans chapter 4. In verse 24, it continues in this way. It invites you and I into the story. It says, God will also count us as righteous. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. See, he, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins and he was raised to life to make us right with God. The incredible news of Easter is that God provided a way for you and I to be in right relationship with him. He provided a way to deal with sin, all of the wrong things that we've ever done all of the good things we've left undone. He provided a way to deal with shame and guilt that we can be made right with God. And ultimately, he provided a window into how to deal with death. He said, God counts us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was raised to life to make us right with God. And the way that you embrace that, the way that you get to the place where you are made right with God is by doing what Wally described, that a number of our kids have done here at Jericho. They've said, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I place my hope and my confidence in you. That's what Magdalena did with the home. Somebody gave her a promise and said, there's people coming. They're going to do something incredible for you. And she said, all right, I believe it. I have confidence that that is going to happen. And then you place similarly your faith and trust and confidence in God by saying, Jesus, I believe that you will do 
what you said that you will do. And it takes an incredible amount of faith and humility to make a statement like that. Because you might still be filled with a lot of questions and doubts and fear. But if you've never actually made that statement and that profession of faith, today might be your day. I want to make sure that for you, you can be in a place where you can experience resurrection life. And so that would be a wonderful way of celebrating Easter. Just joining with some of our kids who have believed in their hearts Jesus as Lord, confessed with their mouths that God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says that you will be saved. And maybe today is your day to join in and become a son or a daughter of the living God. See, the resurrection of Jesus means that new life is not only possible, but it's already begun. That's why Christians can stand at a graveside of a friend or of a family member with very real emotion and a sense of loss, but also mixed in with that, a sense of confidence and deep hope, a sense that the grave is not the end of the story. Because for Christians, death does not have the final word. It's not the final chapter in your story or my story. Earlier this year, uh, evangelist Billy Graham died. And I love the quote that was widely circulated. Uh, Graham had said earlier, many years before that, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. See, what Graham was saying was that death and the grave does not have the final word for those who are in Christ. You just at that moment have changed your address and gone into the presence of God. But you still have to deal with the nagging question that comes to this business of God bringing dead things back to life. How can we be so sure that God will do this? How can Graham be so confident? How can you be confident for a friend or for a family member? But the great news about Easter is that we can be confident in it because he's already done it. God has already raised Jesus to life. And people, uh, other people in the scriptures also have been raised to life from the dead. And so we can be confident in the promise of God about resurrection because he's already fulfilled that promise. And he's fulfilled his other promises as well. His promise to Abraham at age 100. Sarah's in her 90s and she gives birth to a baby boy. The womb that was dead and barren God brings it back to life. And that's the, the whole key verse of this passage in Romans chapter 17, or Romans chapter 4, rather. Verse 17 says this, all of this happened because Abraham believed in God. But he didn't just believe generally in God. He believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. See, God delights 
in creating life and light where chaos and death have reigned. And friends, he's still doing it today. Things that right now look and seem like nothing, but in the hands of an all-powerful God move from being dead to being alive. That's why as a Christian you can stand. I could stand at the graveside of my grandfather and believe that he will come to life one day. That's why as a pastor, when I stand with people and having heard their professions of faith, even in the midst of grief and sorrow, being able to say, we'll meet again. Because I believe in the God who brings the dead back to life. And friends, this is the good news of Easter. That this whole business of bringing dead stuff back to life isn't just some theoretical footnote in history or some minor theological theme tucked away in the Scriptures. As you start reading with that lens through particularly the New Testament, look for it, watch for it. What else is dead that God is bringing back to life? And over and over and over again, we see this is what God does. He creates new things out of nothing. He takes things that are nothing and contemptible and he redeems them. He takes people and things that are broken and he makes them whole. God takes people who thinks they are worth nothing and says to them, I love you. I want you as part of my family. He takes things that are sick and distorted and heals them. And brings them to places of wholeness. God takes things that are dead and makes them come alive. So let me ask you to reflect on this as Jared and Ruth Ellen and Megan and the team come. And we're going to prepare to sing songs of reflection and response. Is there anything dead inside of you that needs to come back to life? What's inside of you that needs stirring, needs revitalizing? I don't know what that is for you. Maybe for you, it's hope that's died. Maybe like Abraham and Sarah, you've been waiting and waiting and waiting for an awful long time for things to change in one area or many areas of your life, and things just haven't. And so over time, you've just allowed hope to die. And maybe this morning God wants to bring that back to life. Maybe for you it's a dream that you had that's died. Maybe God gave you a picture or a word and you've buried it so deep, maybe either because it scares you and you're not sure if you actually want to see it come to life or maybe because you just don't have any faith or energy left to believe that God would bring it to fruition. And so you've just given it up for dead and said, you know what, let's just leave it. It's dead. Let's move on. Maybe today God wants to bring that dream back to life. Maybe for you it's a relationship that's dead. You think, you know what? That person has hurt me so many times. I don't know if I could ever forgive them anymore. So I've just, I've deadened my heart. I have walled it in so that they can't get in there anymore. I don't want them in there anymore. I can't forgive them. And so you've grown cold and you've grown hard and maybe you need to let God bring forgiveness back to life in your life and your heart this morning. Friends, all of us have stuff that's dead or decaying in us and we need
resurrection power. We need cleansing. We need forgiving. And we can't get there on our own. This isn't just like a fresh coat of paint on the interior of your life, just doing some spring cleaning and trying to bring uh, that stuff, you know, give it a little bit more pep. It's dead. And if it's dead, the only way for it to come back to life is through the miraculous touch and intervention of God. We can't get there on our own strength or on our own power, simply being a better person, trying harder, living harder. What in your life needs to come back to life this morning, needs resurrection power? What in our church needs to come to life? What in our city needs resurrection power and life? Let's believe God in a fresh way this morning and invite God to touch those areas of our life, of our city, of our church, of our nation, of our world that need resurrection. And ask God for an Easter miracle today for resurrection. And this is only going to happen when you and I, like Abraham, believe that God brings dead things back to life and he can create things out of nothing. Friends, it's Resurrection Sunday. If there ever was a day for it, today is that day. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for your power and your presence, not just in a general sense in history, but here in this room, that you desire to speak to each of us to bring those areas of our life that are dead back to life. Holy Spirit, we give you full permission to do that in this place today. We give you authority to do that, God, because you certainly don't need the power to do it. You demonstrated that when you raised Christ Jesus from and so we declare that right now Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father with all authority in heaven and on earth, with all power in heaven and earth and under the earth. Nothing is outside of his authority and power to accomplish. And so in faith, God, we ask, would you impart that faith to us to believe here in this place today? Let dead things come to into an extended time of worship this morning. There's lots of songs. So you don't need to rush. We have people available at the back, Pastor Wally and James and Megan and Katie and myself. We'd love to pray for you and with you if there's an area of your life or a relationship or in a part uh, you want to pray and celebrate something this morning. We'd love to do that with you. We're not going to give you any other instructions from the front. You can stand or sit or kneel as you like. And we'll just continue in a time of worship, inviting God to bring these things in us to life.